Praise God. If you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. If you're wondering where Ephesians is, Ephesians is in the New Testament, second half of your Bible. Ephesians is a little book, a little letter written by a guy called Paul. We're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. We're going through a series here at Thrive that's called Happy, Healthy Home. Everyone say, Happy, Healthy Home. And Happy, Healthy Home is all about how we can have happier, healthier relationships in the home. Whether it's in your marriage, if you're married, or it's with your parents, if you're still living with your parents, or with your kids, if you're a parent yourself, or with your brothers and sisters. Because I believe all of us, deep down, we long to have a home that is happy and healthy. If you believe that, say amen. amen. Looking at all sorts of different aspects to a happy, healthy home. Today, I want to talk about something very, very important when it comes to having a happy, healthy home. We're going to start at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 16. Why don't you help me preach this morning and read in a big, loud voice with you. One, two, three, it says, It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. See, what, what's going on in this passage? Sometimes when we read scripture the first time, I kind of gloss over it. Maybe you do the same. So let me just go back to verse 11 with you, just kind of unpack it a little bit here. See, there's a guy called Paul. Everyone say Paul. He is a church planter. He's a missionary. He spends so much of his life planting churches, Christian communities where people can learn about who Jesus is, find hope in him. And he's saying it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers. You know, who, what's an apostle? An apostle is someone who plants churches, who starts churches. A prophet is someone who communicates the heart of God to other people. You know, an evangelist is someone who leads people to Jesus Christ, who helps them come to faith in him. A pastor and teacher is someone who shepherds God's people and teaches the word of God. Verse 12, what does it say? It says, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Everyone say, built up. Yeah. We're the body of Christ. The body of Christ is the church. We are the body of Christ. So says you, we are the body of Christ. And God gave us leaders so that we could be built up. Verse 13, it says, until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Everyone say, mature. Attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Stop right there. See, how many of you guys know this? Is that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins, not just so you, you could be forgiven, but so that also we could become everything that God made us to be. Amen? He didn't just die on the cross so that your sins could be forgiven and you could go to heaven. More than that, Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins so that you could have a relationship with God. It's not just for heaven when you die, but right now for the rest of your days on earth, that you would have a relationship with God where you're growing in love with Jesus and you're becoming more and more like Jesus in your attitude, in your values, in your lifestyle, in the way you live. If you believe that, say amen. So he made us not just to be saved, but he made us to become mature. Everyone say mature. mature. Verse 14, what does it say? It says, verse 14, it says, let's go to the next one, please. Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves. Keep on going. And blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of men, their deceitful scheming. Verse 15, instead speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up. Everyone say, in all things grow up. Into him who is the head, that is Christ, verse 16, 
From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. See, one of the things I love about this passage is saying that you weren't just made to be forgiven of your sins, but you were made to grow up in your faith and become everything that God made you to be. If you believe that, say amen. And there's, that has something to do with what we're talking about today. See, in this series called Happy Healthy Home, today's sermon may possibly be the most important sermon that I give you during this series. That's not to say that next week is not important. Next week is Father's Day. Super excited about the message I'm going to be giving to you next, Saturday, next Sunday. You don't want to miss it. It's going to be a beautiful, beautiful time in the presence of God. But today is a very, very important message because today we're talking about the biggest obstacle to a happy, healthy home. The biggest obstacle, the biggest thing that prevents people from having a happy, healthy home. It's the biggest, it's the biggest, the, the biggest roadblock. It's the biggest reason why happy, healthy homes are a rarity. It's the biggest reason why marriages are often unhappy. It's the reason why relationships in the home can often be very unhealthy. It's the cause of almost all the problems that you will face in a home. You know, last week and a few weeks ago, we talked about the role of the husband and the wife in the home. Remember that? We talked about the role of the man, the role of the woman in the home. And now it is absolutely important that we know our role in the home. If you believe that, say amen. amen. You, you got to know your role in order to fulfill it. But see, here's the thing, is that today I want to talk about the biggest obstacle to having a happy, healthy home. And I can I tell you this, is that you can be able to recite, you might be able to recite all five roles of a husband or all five roles of a wife. But if you don't got this down, then it doesn't matter if you know the role a husband should play. You're not going to play it as a husband. If you, you might be a, a wife in this place, and you might know your role intellectually. You might know, yeah, I, I know I'm supposed to be you know, an encourager, a, a companion, a, a trophy, all those kind of things that we talked about a couple weeks ago. But, you know, if you don't have this down, it doesn't matter how much you know your role. You're not going to be able to fulfill it. What is the biggest obstacle to a happy, healthy home? Why don't you write this down? The biggest obstacle to a happy, healthy home is something called immaturity. It's something called immaturity. It's the, it's the immaturity of the people in the home. Think about your own home for just a second. Is you, you can probably think of some immature ways of thinking, immature ways of speaking, immature ways of communicating, immature ways of dealing with conflict, immature ways of managing money, immature ways of handling your emotions, immature ways of making decisions that have affected not just one person but an entire home. Maybe when you think some of the, the biggest problems that have been coming up over and over in your family, you can actually source that back to someone's immaturity or some person's immaturity. You know, when, when my wife and I, when we got married 14 years ago, uh, you know, I had an issue with immaturity. I still do so in, in, in different ways, but back then, I was especially immature. And I was especially immature, and you know in what area? It was the area of dealing with my anger. And see, this is the thing. I, I'm not the type that has a very explosive temper. Um, you know, some people are, you know, kind of like they, they, they explode and they're, they're, their fuse is very, very short. For me, and maybe some of you are like this, is that when something upsets you, you don't say anything. You just hold it in. You ball it up inside. You stuff it down. And you try to pretend that nothing's bothering when actually something is really bothering. You know, know what I'm talking about? And, and I remember I went into this marriage with Pastor Charlene. I went to this marriage with this immature tendency, which is that when something upset me, I wouldn't talk about it. I will just keep silent, and you know, hopefully it just went away by itself, or I would just hold a grudge, that kind of thing. And when I got married, I could no longer hide from that immaturity. All of a sudden, that immaturity would hit me in the face over and over again. Because, and guess what? In marriage, sometimes you'll have conflicts. And all the married people said, 
Amen. Right? You get, you know, it's part of marriage is that sometimes we'll end up in conflicts. We'll end up having disagreements. And remember, you know, in our first couple years of marriage, I would find that when something upset me, I wouldn't talk to Charlene about it. I would just hold it in. I would bottle it up, and I would just give her the silent treatment. And Charlene, at the time, she'd be like, what's wrong? What's wrong? And at that time, she even had a nickname for me. It's kind of embarrassing to say. Uh, I, I think it's okay for me to say it. It's, uh, she, she, she called me Honey Melon. Honey melon. Oh, honey melon. Right? That sounds like something you get at a bubble tea store. Can I get a one honey melon, please, with pearls? Uh, and, 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 she, and she called me honey. She doesn't call, call me that anymore. She has other names for me now. Um, but she, she called me honey melon back 14 years ago. And, and, and she'd be like, hey, honey melon, what's wrong? I'd be like, oh, nothing. I'm fine. Nothing's wrong. No, I'm not upset. I'm fine. Your honey melon's fine. And she'd be like, Come on, you are obviously upset about something. Oh, no, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. And you know what? This would not just go on for a day. It would go on for two days, maybe three days. Oh, I'm fine. No, I'm fine. And, and finally, you know, in the middle of the night, maybe 2 a.m. in the morning, finally, I think I should talk about it. And while she's fast asleep, I'm like, Char, we need to talk about something. <laughs> and it drove Charlene crazy. Why? It's because I never learned to deal with my anger in an appropriate, mature way up until that point. That goes to show that sometimes your immaturity doesn't just affect you, it affects those who are closest to you. If you believe that, say amen. amen. Let me ask this question. Has immaturity ever been the cause of unhappiness in your home? Has immaturity ever been the cause of unhappiness in your marriage or in a friendship or when you're even on a team or in a workplace? Maybe it was your immaturity. Maybe it was someone else's immaturity. You're going to find this when it comes to a happy, healthy home. The biggest problem you will ever face as a family is not cancer. It's not a financial crisis. It's not a business issue. It's not an uncertainty. It's not even a death in the family. The biggest problem you will ever face as a family is dealing with one another's immaturity. Because that in and of itself is the cause of most of the problems that happen in a marriage and in a home. As Shakespeare once said, the fault is not in our stars, the fault is in ourselves. Amen. It's not the circumstances around us that make life so hard. Very often, we make life so hard for ourselves by our own immaturity. So many of the problems that we experience in marriage, in home life, parent-child relationships, they are all self-produced. We manufacture them through our own immaturity. Look at 1 Corinthians 13, 11 with me. Read in a big, loud voice right now. One, two, three. It says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. If you have your Bibles in front of you, I encourage you to turn to 1 Corinthians 13, 11. I want you to go to verse 11. I don't want you to underline a few words. It says, when I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. I put childish ways behind me. In fact, let's just do this little exercise. I, I, I saw one pastor do this once. And I thought this was pretty cool. I'm going to try this with you guys right now. I'm going to say the first part of verse 11. I'm going to say, when I became a man, then you guys are going to say, I put childish ways behind me. Are you guys ready? Okay, I'm going to say, when I became a man, 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 okay, and, and you know, that applies not just to men, that applies to women as well, but I'm not going to say when I become a woman, that's a bit awkward for me to say up here, but the fact is this, is that, see, what, what is the point about this verse? See, 1 Corinthians 13, 11 tells us what separates a boy from a man. And what separates a girl, a little girl, from a woman? See, what separates a boy from a man 
is, is it turning 18 years of age or 19 years of age or 21 years of age when you're in, your, in the States? Is it going through puberty? That's what separates a boy from a man. Is it when you, you know, first have sex? Is that when you first become a man? Is it when you first get married? That's when you become a man? Is it when you first hold your first job or you get your driver's license? Does that mean you're a man by that point? See, here, here's, here, here it is. I want to tell you this. First Corinthians 13 tells us that you can be 45 years old and still be a boy. You can be 65 years old, still be a little girl. Because being a man or becoming a woman has nothing to do with your physical age. It has nothing to do with, you know, how much money you have or how many kids you have. It has nothing to do with whether you're married or not. But it has everything to do with do you put childish ways behind you. Amen. See, what separates a boy from a man is that he puts childish ways behind him. You could be 75 years old, but if you never learn to put childish ways behind you, according to 1 Corinthians 13, 11, you are still a child. Because a man is one who learns to put his childish ways behind him. So let me say it again. When I became a man, good, you still remember. See, here's the thing. If you want to have a happy, healthy home, it is crucial that you put childish ways behind you. What childish ways are we talking about? I want to give you guys seven characteristics of a child. And I want encourage you to write these down. And I say these things not because we don't absolutely love children here at Thrive. We love children here at Thrive. If you believe that, say amen. amen. We, children are an amazing blessing from God. And, you know, this is the thing, is that we, as any, if any parent knows, any person who deals with children regularly knows that there are certain traits that children have that show that they're not quite an adult yet. Let me give you seven of them right now. Number one is this. A child is the center of his own universe. Parents, you, you, you got me when I say that? A child is the center of his own universe. See, a child's universe revolves around himself or herself. He's not so much concerned about anything except himself. As long as he is well-fed, as long as he's got something to play with that he likes, he is happy. He's not really concerned about other things because for a child, the center of the universe is himself. That's the first thing. The second is this. A child is insensitive to the needs of others. For example, daddy and mommy take little junior off to uncle's home, and they're having a very important conversation with uncle at his house. But, but little junior, he's like, you know what? I want to go home. Are you done yet? Can we go home? Can you, daddy, can you come? Daddy, can you play with me right now? Are you done? Why? It's because a child is insensitive to the needs of others. He's not thinking about anyone else except himself. Ask the, the parents of any infant or very, very young toddler in this place. Let me ask you, those of you here, and a lot of them are in the nursery right now, when, when your infant, when your little child decides at 3 a.m. in the morning to wake up, does your child pray about it first and say, hmm, mommy and daddy have had a tough day. You know, I, I should let them sleep a little bit more, and I'm just going to sit here in bed quietly and wait for them to wake up. Oh, you know what? Even more, oh, oh Holy Spirit, is there anything else you want me to do? Oh, I should go and make breakfast for them right now. I should get out of my crib and go downstairs and serve them breakfast in bed. Does that ever happen to any parents in this place? Of course not. It doesn't happen. Instead, if you are a parent of an infant, you know that that infant does not care if it's 3 a.m. in the morning. Doesn't care what time it is. Doesn't care how exhausted you may be. Doesn't care what kind of week you've had. At 3 a.m., if he or she wants to wake up, it is time to wake up. And she's like, ah, mommy, daddy, 
and that's all she cares about because she's insensitive to the needs of others. That's what a child does, insensitive to the needs of others. If you believe it, say amen. amen. Number three, what else does a child do? A child insists on his own way. Doesn't matter what you say to them. Parents won't listen to them. You know, authorities won't listen to them. You might be at the supermarket with a child, and that child sees a toy that she really wants. Mommy, can you please buy me this frozen Elsa water bottle? Right? And then and she's like, No, honey, you already have three. And, and no, no, but I want it. I want it. I want it. And that time, at that point, it doesn't matter what the parents think or say. She's insisting on his own way, her own way, because the child insists on his own way. And if she doesn't get what she wants, then number four, a child throws temper tantrums. Temper tantrums. Loses her temper. Maybe starts to get very upset. Maybe starts to cry and scream. Maybe even starts to, you know, hit something or throw things and do property damage. And, and why is that? It's because is that child has yet to learn how to handle their emotions in a mature way. A child throws temper tantrums. Number five, what else does a child do? A child is irresponsible. So you tell your, say you tell your child, hey, child, hey uh, son, I want you to clean your room. Go clean your room. When I come back in five minutes, it has to be all clean, and then you can go and play. And he's like, okay. You go downstairs. Five minutes elapsed, you come back, and he's still playing on his, you know, on, on, on his little you know, toy set. He's doing, he, he's, he's doing his tic-tac-toes, or he's drawing. And he's like, uh, son, I thought you were going to clean your room. I told you to clean your room. Oh, okay, oh, okay, okay. And then you go back. Five minutes later, he's still doing the same thing. He's distracted. Why? It's because a child is irresponsible. A child doesn't have a very strong sense of responsibility. They're easily distracted by what is in front of them, easily distracted by how they feel, and so they don't really take good responsibility for what they're trying to do. That's why the Bible says that children have to learn obedience. Even Jesus had to learn obedience from the things that he suffered. We have to learn how to be responsible, and we have to learn how to be obedient. If you believe that, say amen. amen. Number six, what else does a child do? A child cannot be reasoned with. You can't say, okay, come on, son. Let me explain why you can't take that baseball bat and hit your sister, okay? Let me just explain, okay? Because if you do that, she's going to be injured. She's going to have a concussion. You may not have a sister anymore. And it, and, but at, at a certain age, children will not, say, will, will not even think of those things. They'll, they'll say, oh, no, it's fun. I want to do it. I want to do it. I don't care. And you can't really reason with a child because they're so focused on themselves and their feelings. And if you can't reason with a child and they still won't listen to what you say, then number seven, a child only obeys concrete authority. What do I mean by that? Is that when your child doesn't listen or doesn't obey, what do you do? You scold the child. You raise your voice. You're like, you are not to do that again. You're saying, okay, you know what? You take benefits away. You say, you say if you do that again, you are not going to play for the rest of the afternoon. Or, you know, you even say, okay, say sorry to your sister. Say it right now. I'm sorry. And, and, and it's, it, what is it? it's concrete authority. They're not doing it because they think it's right. They're not doing it because they have largely thought it through and going, you know, that's the better thing to do. No, they're simply doing it because someone is threatening them. Someone is forcing them to do it, and therefore they do it. That is concrete authority. And if they still don't obey, in some families, you get the rod out, right? You get the rod of retribution, right? And you're like, you do that one more time. And daddy is taking out his thunder stick, all right? And, and, and I'm going to take out his retribution. Why? It's because a child only obeys concrete authority. These are the seven characteristics of a child. Now, let me ask this question. This is a very important question for all of us this morning. What if a child grows up 19, 20, 25, 30, 35, 40, 45, 50 years old and never learns to outgrow these characteristics? What are you going to find? 
the same seven things happening in that person's life 20, 30 years down the road. See, this is the thing. When a child never learns to grow up, they don't become a man or a woman automatically. They just become an adult child. They become a childish adult. Look at seven characteristics of a childish adult. They're the same ones. Number one, a childish adult is the center of his own universe. You know, when a man behaves as if he's the center of his own universe, he's acting like a child. When he throws pity parties for himself, always think there's a conspiracy against him, always playing the victim, he's acting like a child. You know, when he you know, always complains, is always negative about life, and always like, oh, woe is me, well, how could you? And all, and all that stuff. You know what? That is acting like a child. And, and sometimes we even see, see this in the church. When, when, when someone comes to church because they want to be blessed, not because they want to be a blessing, because they want, you know, they, 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 they all, all they're interested in, they, they want to spend time with their friends, they want to meet soulmates, maybe they, they want not salvation, but we call galvation, which is they want a gal, they want a girl who, who can, you know, save them, you know, and they're like, oh, if I only found that girl, oh, I, can't, I guess I can't find them here, I don't feel that way, oh, so I'm just going to leave and go somewhere else, maybe check out another church, because the, God is not the center of their universe, they've never learned to put God and others in front, instead, they're still in front, and every Everything else revolves around them, and that's the way they live their life. What is that? That is a childish adult. Number two, a childish adult is insensitive to the needs of others. You know, when an adult doesn't consider how his or her words or actions affect those in his home, he's acting like a child. You know, when a woman acts like someone who's in grade seven, gossiping, talking bad about others behind their back, what is that? That is acting like a child. Number three, a childish adult insists on his own way. You know, when, when an adult is always demanding that it was his way or the highway, refusing to listen to other adults, he's acting like a child. Number four, a childish adult throws temper tantrums. You know, any not children, but adults who throw temper tantrums, who just lose it. You know, the very short fuse, just lose all control. Maybe they even throw things and hit things and bang things on the table because they are not able to control their emotions. A childish adult throws temper tantrums. Number five, a childish adult is irresponsible can't keep his word. They make a promise, but you're never really sure if they're going to fulfill it, won't admit when he's wrong, blames others for their mistakes, always running away from problems, always chasing their feelings. That is a child who is irresponsible and could be an adult as well. Number six, a childish adult cannot be reasoned with. You know, just like a child, you know, a man can grow up so insistent on his own way that no one can talk to him. No one can reason with him. You can't take the word of God and say, hey, this is the reason why the Bible says that Christians should, 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 you know, should, should love and forgive. This is why. Or, you know, this, this is why the Bible says that, you know, it is best for a Christian to, to date someone who's going in the same direction as them. If you date someone who doesn't even follow Jesus, then you're, you're kind of going in a different direction. And a lot of, a lot of childish adults, well, you know, I don't care. I don't care what the Bible says. I, I, just, have such, I just have this feeling that's going to work. I just have this feeling that it's going to happen. And, and, and they'll, they'll, they'll go in that direction regardless of what anyone says, regardless of what God's word says. That is a childish adult. Number seven, a childish adult only obeys concrete authority. Is that only when someone scolds the person will they stop temporarily their childish behavior. They'll, they'll, and they might not stop completely. They'll just stop kind of for the time that they think the person is mad. And then they'll go back to their childish behavior again. Or you know, when someone forces them to apologize, then they'll be like, oh, sorry. Right? Or, or you know, only when they're cornered and chased, that's when they'll finally pay back the money that they owe. When, the, when, you know, when there's someone banging on the door with sunglasses and a baseball bat in their hand, that's when, okay, fine, fine, here, here's your 20 bucks back. Right? And, and that's, that's what a childish adult does. And see, wh why am I talking about this? See, is, do you know anyone in your own home who is supposed to act like an adult but sometimes acts more like a child. 
Yo, maybe some of you are realizing today that, wow, maybe, maybe that person is me. Maybe I'm the child. And, and see, here's the thing. Maybe, maybe you're in this place, and deep down you're thinking to myself, man, did I marry a man or did I marry a boy in man's clothing? Did I marry a woman or did I marry a little girl? Because here's the thing, is that if we don't learn to leave our childish ways, we will continue to live in a, ch- in a permanently child state, which only causes immaturity, which only causes problems in the home. If you believe that, say amen. Here's the thing. When a child acts like a child, it is expected. It's cute, you know? But when a 45-year-old or a 25-year-old acts like a child, it is not cute. It is gross. Amen? It is gross. And, and, you know, and, and if, this is the thing. If you don't put childish ways behind you, you're going to find this, is that you and your family are going to suffer for it. For example, you know, I, I have a friend, poor girl, who in high school, she you know, w- had, this, had this thing about you know, just always wanting to be in a relationship. And she, she gave her heart away to so many different people, at, at, sometimes two at a time. And just and, she, and and sometimes she she get into a relationship and then you know as she's in the relationship she starts to, she stops feeling the same way as she did before and she starts to feel another way for someone else and so she leaves that relationship she goes into that other relationship and she will just go from relationship to relationship to relationship she thought that when she got married it will all be di- it will all be different oh I've married the I found the one I found the love of my life and and so she says I do for I'll be faithful till the till the end to till death do us part in hell health and in sickness, for richer or for poor, in health and in sorrow, and all that stuff. And she says those things. But then, you know, a year into the marriage, she's like, you know, why don't I feel the same way anymore for this guy? And, and she starts to, you know, start to feel differently for, about him and starts to feel something for others. And, and eventually there's like an emotional affair and all those things that go on. And why is it? It's because she never left her childish ways behind. And, and so, and, and, you know, she, she thought that marriage would somehow save her. That getting married, oh, all of a sudden, I'll just be so in love with that person for the rest of my life. I'm not going to even think about those weaknesses anymore. But no, the fact is this. You and I, those who are married, you know that marriage does not erase your old problems. In fact, in many ways, it multiplies them. And so, you know what? When you are someone, if you're someone, you're single in this place, and you think, oh, if only I find the perfect guy, then everything's going to be okay. Can I tell you that it's not necessarily the case? Because we bring our immaturities into marriage into every home we live in, and if we aren't careful to leave them behind and deal with them in a healthy way, they'll end up hurting us and the people that we love the most. If you believe that, say amen. For, for example, when, when a man can't control his temper, it doesn't just affect him, it affects everyone around him. His kids live in fear, his wife is walking on eggshells, his immaturity is causing his family to suffer. Well, when, a, when, a, when a dad is immature in that he can't manage his body very well. He's like, you know, at, at 3 a.m. he's still awake even though you know, he should be asleep. And the next day he's so tired he can't give his best at the, at the workplace. He can't give his best at home. And what, what is that? That is his own immaturity starting to spill over and affect other people. It's because immaturity causes not just you but our families to suffer as well. See, the remedy for immaturity, what is it? You can write this down. The remedy for immaturity is to grow spiritually. The remedy for immaturity is to grow spiritually. Let's all read Ephesians chapter 4, 12 to 15. Read with me in the big loud voice. 1, 2, 3, it says that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, 
attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming. But instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. Stop right there. Stop right there. See, what is it saying? Is that the more you grow spiritually, the more you become like Christ. And in fact, the more you become like Christ, the happier and healthier your home will eventually be. Now, earlier, I, uh, I was sharing about one of the immaturities that I brought into my marriage to Charlene. That was 14 years ago. And praise God, because, you know, I can say that, like, I've gotten a little bit better, I think. I think I've gotten actually quite a bit better on, on dealing with th- times when I get upset or angry. And I can say this, and I think Shark can say this too. I think, I think, you know, 14 years ago was when we got married. But I say that we are more in love with one another today than we were 14 years ago. Some of you are like, awkward silence, huh? Really? <laughs> Let me say this again. We are more in love together today than we were 14 years ago. Everyone say, aw. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and let me tell you why. It's because... You know, a lot of people say, oh, like, it's, it's you know, the, the best days, the honeymoon period is the first two years. Can I tell you this? Our first two year, years of marriage are nothing compared to what we have today. The first two years of marriage were cool. They were great. There, there, there was, it, was, it was exciting. It was, everything was fresh. But, you know, we also fought a lot. We fought a lot because we, both of us were still, had immaturities that we still had not dealt with up to that point. But I, one of the things I find is this, is that when you and your partner are committed to following Jesus and you're committed to growing out of your immaturity and becoming more like Christ, life gets happier eventually over time. Your marriage gets healthier eventually over time so that it is possible for you to be more in love with one another 15 years after your marriage than on the first day that you get married. If that's the hope that we have in Jesus, is that it doesn't, it doesn't, isn't marriage, honeymoon, and it's all downhill from there. But it is, you get married, you have your honeymoon, and the best is yet to come. Amen? It's because you are committed to following Jesus, and the more you follow him, the more you become like him in your character, and the easier you are to deal with at home. The more loving of a husband you become, the more patient of a wife you become, it's when you grow spiritually together. If you believe that, say amen. So let me end today by talking about three ways, three keys to growing spiritually. How many of know that spiritual growth doesn't happen automatically you don't just mature overnight or you just mature by you know like not even like the way that we grow physically we don't even mature spiritually that fast or that quickly or that easily it doesn't happen automatically but it does happen when we allow three things to happen in our lives we're going to write down right now number one is this accept that growing accept that growing up is your own responsibility accept that growing up spiritually is your own responsibility see as much as god wants you to grow as much as, you know, your pastors might so long for you to grow, as much as your small group leaders might so long for you to grow, as much as your husband or wife so wants you to grow, as much as even your kids are like, oh, man, when, Daddy, could you grow up? You know, as much as those people might want you to grow, the fact is this, no one can make you grow until you decide to grow. Amen? When 1 Corinthians 13, 11 says, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man... I put childish ways behind me. It wasn't my pastor put my childish ways behind me. It's not my spouse put my childish ways behind me. It wasn't my circumstances put my childish ways behind me. It's I put my childish ways behind me. Jesus Christ died on the cross to save us from our sins so that we wouldn't have to do that ourselves because we couldn't. But when it comes to maturity, there are certain things that not even Jesus will do for you. You need to decide to put childish ways yourself, and he will empower you to do it and give you the strength to do it 
it if you will make the resp- if you will make the decision and say this is my responsibility amen and see, it doesn't matter how many counselors you see, doesn't matter how many conferences you attend, doesn't matter how many people you talk to, doesn't matter who prays for you. If you refuse to take responsibility for your own growth, if you're always expecting others to help you grow, you're always expecting, you're always waiting for a feeling. Oh, I don't feel anything. I don't, I don't feel anything. If you're always waiting for the feeling before you decide I'm going to grow, what's going to happen? You're not going to grow. You're going to be in the same place for years and years and years. To the day you die, you will be in the same place because you never took responsibility for your own growth. That's why you have Christians who maybe get baptized seven years ago. And, and, and if they had to be totally honest with themselves, they're still in the exact same baby place they were in seven years ago. Because of the thing. If you will say, you know what, I'm going to take responsibility for my own growth. What's going to happen? There's nothing stopping you with the help of God to become everything that God made you to be. If you believe that, say amen. You know, I mean, I, I, was, I, went to ch- I went to church all my life, but it wasn't until 15 years into going to church that I realized, man, I got to take responsibility for my own growth. For all that time, I would just kind of coast into church and just kind of sit in a service or, you know, watch as other people did their thing. And, and, I'd, and people would pray and I'd be, okay, let's pray. People would say, okay, let's sing. Okay, let's sing. But I never really took responsibility for growing spiritually. It, was, it wasn't until I was 15 and I decided that, you know what, I need to take responsibility for my own growth. I, just, I, I got baptized. And I remember it was the summer after grade nine. And in that summer, I would, what, you know what I would do? I, I would take a, a Bible. I, just, I didn't even have really a, a Bible that I used, but I took a Bible from, I think, my parents' shelf. I took that Bible. And on the, in the summer, every, like, you know, because I had a little bit more free time, I'd, I'd go out into the, to the deck of our, of our house. I'd go outside, and, and I just, I'd open the Bible. And I remember I started reading the book of Galatians. Which is, you know, just like it's, it's new, in the New Testament short book. And just, I, I just start reading the book of Galatians chapter by chapter. And it was just so simple. I'd read. I'd write down something I learned. I'd write down a prayer. And that's what I did for five years. I didn't attend a conference. I didn't see a counselor. I didn't have someone come, come alongside me and go, okay, let me teach you how to do this. I just, I just kind of read, wrote, prayed. Went to church, served. And you know what? Slowly, just very slowly, but just gradually, I started to find, hey, you know what? I feel like I'm more mature than I was five years ago. And see, that's the thing. Maturity begins with accepting responsibility. If you don't accept responsibility for your own growth, it doesn't matter what church you're in. It doesn't matter who you're listening to. It doesn't matter what conference you attend until the day you say, you know what? My growth is my own responsibility. You know, some, some, some people, you know, you, you may be in this place and you, have to, you finally have to admit the fact, you know what? The reason I am as immature as I am today is not because it's my pastor's fault. It's not because of my parents. It's not because of my spouse. It's not because of my circumstances. I'm the reason for my own immaturity today. And I need to take responsibility to grow. If you believe that, say amen. amen. Number two. Number two, be disciplined about letting go of childish habits and starting new healthy habits. Can I ask you a question in this place? Is there a childish habit that you realize is actually hurting not just you, but it's hurting your family? You know, maybe it's, you just complain all the time. You just got a very critical spirit. Every time you open your mouth, you're talking about something negative. You're complaining about something. Maybe it's procrastinating. Is that you know the stuff that you should do, but you're just, you're just, you, you kind of worship your own laziness. You worship your feelings. And so when you don't feel like doing something, you just don't do it. You don't feel like, you know, helping out, you just don't. You don't feel like reading your Bible, you just don't. You don't feel like going to church, you just don't. And, and, and you, you can say, oh, yeah, I'm so busy. But in fact, you know deep down that busyness is actually an excuse for the fact that you just worship your feelings. 
See, it's, it, is, there, is there a childish habit you need to let go of? Maybe that childish habit is you don't keep your word very well. Is that you, you often show up late to appointments where you said, I'll be there on time. You, you often you know, take things, borrow things, you don't return it for years. And, and like, you know, books are collecting dust and money is you know, collecting interest and all that stuff. But you don't really do it because you're just, oh, yeah, whatever. You know, maybe it's not taking good care of yourself. Maybe it's you know, refusing to admit when you're wrong. Maybe it's running away from your problems instead of dealing with them head on. Maybe it's you know, you're married and you, you threaten divorce at the slightest sight of the smallest problem. You're like, oh, you burnt my soup? Divorce! <gasps> and, and see, here's the thing. We all have childish habits. But you got to understand this, is that if you might, some, some of our childish habits we think are cute. We think, oh, they're kind of funny. We joke about them a lot. But the fact is this. If you don't deal with certain childish habits in your life, it's going to end up killing you. Proverbs 5.23 says it this way. Read it in a loud voice. One, two, three, it says, he will die for lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. See, what is it saying? See, Proverbs 5 is actually talking about a situation where a guy commits adultery. Where, you know, he's married, he's a young man, he's married, but then, you know, in a moment of weakness, he, he, he commits adultery with someone else he's not married to. And it says, he will die for lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. See, this verse 23 applies not just to people who, you know, are one to commit an affair, but it applies to every one of us who still struggles with childish ways of living is that we don't really discipline ourselves to get rid of the old habit and to start new healthy habits. Can I tell you something? A lack of discipline is a slow form of suicide. If you want to commit suicide, if you want to throw away your life, then all you have to do, you don't, have to, you don't, you don't need a needle, you don't need a drug, you don't have to do anything like that. All you need is to be very undisciplined with your life. When opportunities come your way, you, know, you just don't keep your word. When, when, when you're responsible for something, you just kind of like let it slip through your fingers. Th- those, are, those, are, those are the ways you can commit suicide because uh, a di- uh, uh, he will die for lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. If you refuse to be disciplined in the area of keeping your word, if you refuse to be disciplined in the area of your speech or admitting when you're wrong, your lack of discipline is going to kill you and it's going to hurt your family as well. You know, like for me, earlier I shared how I would bottle up my anger and I wouldn't tell anyone who was wrong, but Char would be like, honey melon, please tell me what's wrong. Honey melon, come on, please tell me. And finally, it got to the point where I realized, you know what? I am really hurting my marriage and my wife by continuing to deal with my anger in such an immature way. And I had to finally take responsibility for it and say, you know what? I'm not going to do that anymore. From now on, I'm going to deal with this, this problem head on. And so I remember, you know, the, first, like, the next time I, I got upset about something I, or I felt upset, I was like, you know, um, I, there's a part of me that just wanted to kind of be quiet and go in my own, my own little corner. But I was like, you know, Shar, can we talk about something, please? And we sat down and we talked about it. And Shar was so happy. She was so happy that for the first time I was dealing with this head on. She's like, congratulations, you didn't hold this in for so long anymore. You finally talked to me about it. And, it's, and I was talking to you about something that you would, would normally make us, you know, not that happy. But, but, she, but a part of her was actually very happy because I was making movement forward in an area where I was immature. We still got into an argument, but you know, we still move forward. And see, this is the thing. The more discipline I got at dealing with my anger, the more I got, was quick to let, you know, conflicts be resolved as opposed to letting them kind of linger into the next day and the next day and the next day, the happier our home became, the healthier our home became. What was I doing? I was learning to take a very immature habit, a very childish way in me, and I was learning to set it aside for something better. If you believe that, say amen. So you can't change your past, 
but you, can certainly don't, you certainly don't need to live in your past. You can live a new life today with the help of Jesus who gives us strength so that we can let go of childish ways and go on to a better future with new habits. If you believe that, say amen. Number three, and we're going to close. Is this helpful in this place this morning? Yeah? I'm, I'm hitting kind of hard this morning, but we're going to go with number three, and we're going to end with number three. Let mature people speak into your life. If you want to grow spiritually, how many of you guys know it's not an individual thing that you do? It's not just you reading your Bible. It's not just you learning to pray, but it's learning to let mature, godly people speak into your life. You know, one of the things that, that helped me so much to grow in my relationship with God was when I started to ask leaders in my life for input. I might not be that close to them. They might not, me, not know me that well. We might, not have, we might not be best buddies or best friends, but the fact was that when I would allow them, invite them to speak into my life, I was just amazed at the kind of insight that God would give them into my life that would help me decipher what I need to do. And I found that if it weren't for the help of those leaders in my life, my pastors, my youth counselors, you know, mentors in my life that God placed, if it weren't for them, I would have missed out on some of the most important decisions that I've ever made in my life. You know, whether it's receiving Jesus Christ as my Savior, or it's, you know, deciding on, you know, who to marry, the two most important decisions you will ever make. You know, those two, I wouldn't have made the right decision had it not been for leaders in my life that God placed to help me through. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16 says it this way. Read it in a big loud voice with you. One, two, three, it says, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Why don't you go back to verse 11? Go back to verse 11. What does it say? If you have your pens in front of you, why don't you, why don't you, why don't you write this one down or why don't you underline those words? It was he. It was he. It was who? It was he. Who is he? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. It was he. See, what is it saying? Is that it was he, Jesus Christ, he gave his life for us 2,000 years ago so that we could be forgiven. But you know what? Jesus did not stop giving from there. 2,000 years ago, Jesus gave his life. But in 2017, Jesus continues to give. How does he give? One of the greatest ways he gives is by putting people in your life who are leaders in your life who can speak into your life. If you believe that, say amen. That's what Ephesians 4 is talking about. It was he who gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service. So here's a question for you here in this place this morning. How much do you let the leaders that God has placed in your life speak into your life? Could it be that the reason why you are in the same place of maturity that you may have been three, four, even ten years ago is because you've always listened to just one person. It's yourself. You've always listened to, oh, and maybe some of your close friends who, who think exactly like you. And so that's why you've never grown. Or is it something where you've learned to say, you know, I'm going to let people who are, you know, maybe more experienced, people who love God, who model Christ, I've, I'm, gonna, I'm not, I'm not going to wait for them to come to me. I'm going to come to them. I'm going to ask them, hey, can you speak into my life? Can you kind of just guide me in what, what do you think I should do in this situation? When you do that, what are you doing? You are allowing God's gift today to lead you to where you need to go. Psalm 141 verse 5 says it this way. Read it in the big loud voice. Psalm 141 verse 5. Do you have it? 141 verse 5. Read it in the big loud voice with you. 1, 2, 3, it says, Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil on my head. My head will not refuse it. 
What does that mean? Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Have you ever asked someone to strike you and go, oh, thank you so much. Oh, that felt so good. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, oh, thank you. One more time, please. Does that ever happen to you before? But see, what, 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 is Psalm, what is Psalm 141 verse 5 saying? It's talking about having a teachable heart, a teachable spirit, where you allow a person who maybe has a bit more experience than you do, someone who you know, has, you know, uh, has authority in your life, to say, you know what, let me speak into your life. Let Speak into my life, and I will not refuse it. You know, it says, let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. Even if it's a word that is not that easy for me to hear, I'm willing to hear it because I want to grow. That's, a, what's, that's one of the biggest differences between someone who's mature and immature. An immature person does not want to hear anything except praise. Doesn't want to hear anything except, oh, you did a very good job. A mature person is someone who says, you know what? Let a righteous man strike me. It is a kindness. Let him rebuke me. It is oil on my head. If you believe that, say amen. It's because part of maturing is learn to let godly, mature people speak into your life. I don't know where I'd be if it weren't for the really, like, the really awesome leaders. They're not perfect, but they were amazing leaders that God brought into my life who spoke into my life, not because they came to me, but a lot of times because I went and said, hey, can you talk to me about this? What do you think of that? And as a result, I've benefited so much from them. It's because it was he who gave them for my strengthening. If you believe that, give God a big hand in this place. Let's give God a big hand together right now. Praise God. Praise God. They had issues to deal with. They had their own immaturities, but praise God, because they were just a little bit further ahead down the road of following Jesus. I could look to them and go, okay, that's kind of where I need to be. That's kind of where I want to go. Praise God. With that in mind, I want to introduce something to you as we end this morning, which we're really excited about. We're starting it today. It's called the TDS2 Challenge. The TDS2 Challenge. What does TDS2 TDS2 stands for Thrive Discipleship School Level 2. See, Thrive Discipleship Level School, Thrive Discipleship School is a series of classes that we have developed you know, here at Thrive to help you learn the habits, the skills, and the attitudes for growing up in your relationship with God. And we've received some really great feedback from this program that we've developed for over the past few years. Uh, there's one guy who says, you know, uh, the biggest help I found in TDS2 was that it provided me a lot of helpful tips on reading the Bible, especially tips on preparing my heart before my game time, something I have neglected, an awesome class. There's another guy who wrote, it was a, I guess we did a class on loving one another, and he said, you know, I always hear people telling others to love one another, but I never knew when or where or even how to start. This TDS class really helped me to break down the definition of love and how each follower of Christ should love others. Uh, there's another guy who wrote, you know, I learned from this Love One Another class some practical ways to apply God's word about love in real life. This was very helpful for me as I go through struggles in my relationships because I learned how to have healthy, strong relationships with others. Uh, another guy, uh, he wrote, TDS2 allowed me to know that there are many ways to have a good habit of reading the Bible and spending time with God on a daily basis. It also helped me to learn the importance of reading God's word and what it means to truly spend time with God. Another person said, from TDS2, I learned that I need to surrender myself to God completely. He, uh, this has always been a hard thing for me. But after taking TDS2, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to let my heart be open and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Also, during TDS2, I realized that there was someone I still haven't forgiven after such a long time. Now I'm willing to forgive that person. Another person, he wrote, before I took TDS2, I felt the heaviness from my daily routine and some difficult news I'd received. 
I felt helpless even though there were good friends around me who were willing to help, but I felt like none of them could solve any bit of my problems or relieve any of my burdens. But when I went through TDS2, not only did God lift up my burden, but also he helped me to understand the reason behind some of my problems. Now I'm sure that God is with me and that he's working hard with me to help me find hope in him. I finished TDS2 with a feeling of joy and hope. If you believe that, say amen. Another person wrote, I, I learned from TDS2 that God brings healing through the work of the Holy Spirit. I experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit during the classes. I learned how important it is to forgive those who hurt us so that we can experience God's love and blessings. Another person wrote something really, uh, really, really, really short. He said, great topics. I was so touched. Uh, what, what topics do we cover in TDS2? Let me just show you here. TDS2 there comes up six sessions. Session one, is we talk about the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. Session two, the filling of the Holy Spirit. Session three, we talk about receiving healing for your past hurts. Session four, we talk about learning to have a daily time with God. Here we call it a game time. For, uh, session five, love one another. We do a practical course on how do you love people in the church? How do you love people at home? And number six is the secret power of tithing. And these six classes form TDS 2, TDS level 2. And you know what? I've, I've got really good news because we've tried to make TDS 2 as accessible to as many people as possible. And that's why during TDS 2 challenge, what we're doing is that we are making all of TDS 2 available for you online for free. Online for free. All right. Is that cool? Yeah. Can you give God a big hand for that? That's cool. All right. And and that means, if it's online, that means that you can do it at Starbucks, you can do it on the SkyTrain, you can do it in your car, you can do it at home, you can do it on your bed, you can do it on your way to work, um, you can do it in the shower, I guess, if you have a speaker. You, you, you can do all those things. You don't even need to be in the country to take it. If you're going away for part of the summer, you can take TDS2 wherever you go. And we want to encourage you to do that because we want to see you grow up in your relationship with God. And what, how does TDS2 challenge work? How does this work? Well, let me tell you, our goal this summer from June 11 to August 13 is we want to get as many people onto TDS2 as we can between June 11 and August 13. And we're even going to give you a prize for completing this challenge. You know what the prize is? For individuals in this place, if you complete TDS1 and 2 by August 13, you're going to get a custom-made Thrive Prayer Journal. Everyone go, ooh. Okay? Custom-made. You guys, you guys have seen some of the really cool things that have come out of this church. Uh, the Thrive Prayer Journal, you don't want to miss it. It's coming out very, very soon. And that's one of the prizes you get if you complete TDS 1 and 2 on your own. But there is not just an individual prize. We're going to give you a group prize as well. Do you know what the group prize is? You guys want to know what the group prize is? The group prize is for your small group. See, the small group at Thrive that gets the most points from TDS 2 is going to get $200. $200 toward a party that they will have this coming summer. All right? Is that cool? Is that right? Can we give God a big hand for that as well? Yeah? And, and how does it work? Is that for every class in TDS2 that you take, you get five points. If, you're, if, you're, if your small group brother, small group sister takes TDS2, that same class, five points for that person as well. And we're going to see how many people in your small group can take these classes, and we're going to see whichever small group has the most points at the end of this campaign, at the end of this challenge, they will get $200 toward a party of their choice this summer. They can go to the beach. Maybe you always want to do an outing together that you've never had a chance to because you know, funds were lacking. You know, we're, we're going to help finance that so that you can have a really good time with your small group. And, and, and so we want to encourage all of us in this place. Can we, can, we, can we do TDS2 Challenge together? Is that cool? Is that cool? Praise God. See, this is the thing. 
if you've already taken TDS2, then I, I want to keep, keep a couple things in mind. If you went to our Thrive Retreat last year, you've taken half of TDS2. There's another half you have not even touched yet. But if you have never taken TDS2 before, or if you have already taken any part of TDS2, we want to encourage you to take those classes this coming summer. If you've taken already, take it again. Why? It's because these classes from TDS2 are so foundational to your faith as a Christian that you will want to take them year after year. I need to be reminded of the importance of tithing, not just once in my lifetime. I need to be reminded of the importance of tithing year after year. If you believe that, say amen. Because sometimes we forget Sometimes we atrophy. Sometimes, you know, we, we start to, you know, kind of go astray. These classes help to bring us back to the basics of our Christian faith so we can continue to grow. And if you want to know what courses you've taken from TDS2 already, you can talk to your small group leader. If you don't have a small group, you can talk to the church office. How do you sign up for the, the TDS2 challenge? Well, you take this little sign-up card, this beautifully done sign-up card. You can take the pen that's on your seat. I encourage you to put in your name, your email, your phone number. And if you have a small group, put down your small group's name as well. And you want to hand that in at the end of today. And we're going to see how many people we can get on board for TDS2 from June 11 to August 13. You might be, I see people bring them, writing, writing down their, 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 their names and their, their, their info on those cards. You can do that right now. Do that right now. Take a pen. Why don't you write that down right now. Encourage you to, you know, to make it this summer. I'm going to grow this summer. I'm going to school this summer. I'm going to learn to grow in my relationship with God this summer. And I'm going to encourage you to write that down. We're going to invite you to, 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 to hand those in at the end of our service this morning. You can do this even if you are in your own home. You don't need to be involving anyone else, but if you do it, you're going to be blessing yourself because the best part of TDS2 is not the prayer journal. It's not the prize you receive as a group. It's the fact that you will grow in your relationship with God. If you believe that, say amen. Amen. Do you guys feel blessed? Are you guys blessed in this place? Amen. Amen. I, you know, the fact is, I don't, I don't know any other church who does quite what we do in terms of doing all this, our own blood, sweat, and tears to provide this stuff all to you for free. I don't know any, I don't know any church that, that quite does it this way. I, I, and you know, we, we were even giving you a prize for doing it. Even a prize, all right? That's like, that's like a parent who cooks every meal for their kids and says, I'll give you a prize if you eat it all, right? Who does that? Who does that? And it's not because we, 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 sh we owe it to to have a prize. You don't, you don't, des you, it's not like you owe, we owe a prize to, but we want to have you see you have fun, and we definitely want to see you grow. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place together right now. Praise God. Amen. 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 If you want to leave childish ways and grow up in your relationship with God, one of the best ways you can do that this summer is to take the TDS2 challenge, and you'll be on your way to leaving childish ways and going on to maturity. Let's end with reading Ephesians 4, 14 to 16 together. Read in a big, loud voice together. Read it with the help me preach this place this, this evening or this, this morning. One, two, three, it says, Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined together and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Let's all stand to our feet. Let's get ready to respond to God here in this place. I'm going to ask the worship team to lead us in a song. Let's get ready to respond to God's word together.